This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. Surviving. What a concept. What an idea. Isn't that something that we feel sometimes that we need to survive? How do you survive? Sometimes the way to survive is to actually thrive. What do I mean? Our next guest is Ethan Zahn, a survivor, not of only the game survivor on TV, placing number one, winning a million dollars, but also a survivor of something more important, cancer. An individual who knows a lot about what it takes when all the chips are stacked against you to not only survive, but to thrive. Delving into current events to uncover relevant wisdom. wisdom. This is the Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari on the Blaze Radio Network. Uh, We've got a great individual in the studio with us today. We've got Ethan Zahn. Ethan Zahn was the winner of Survivor Africa in 2002, an individual who knows a lot about surviving and thriving. He actually is the winner of a more important battle of Survivor. He beat cancer, not once but twice. He's a former professional soccer player. And as he took, in a way, his life and just took it to the next level. And he did something that I, I love uh, love so much, and I know you're going to love to hear about it, is he created a, basically a nonprofit organization called Grassroots Soccer to teach kids through soccer about HIV and AIDS. Uh, an amazing individual. He's in the studio with us today. We're very lucky. Ethan, thank you so much for joining us, and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on, and I'm sure you tell your story over to a million people, so I'm sorry to bring you here and no. tell your story again. Um, can, you, can you jump in right away with us? Because as soon as I say the word survivor, I have yeah. in my mind memories of watching Survivor. <laughs> I have in my mind, you know, sort of sitting by the, you know, waiting to see who would right. win. Um, how did you get on the show? Like, how did it even start? How did you end up being in Survivor? I mean, I was actually, uh, it was kind of by accident. I was living in New York City. I was... Um, unemployed. You know, I, I like to call it as in between life choices. My mom says I was unemployed. You know, it's, it's, you know, right. perspectives, it's perspectives. semantics, right. you know, Semantic. um, and literally I had nothing to do one afternoon and my roommate and I wanted to do something. So we're like, well, let's make a videotape and just send it into survivor. At this time there'd only been, it's 2001. There'd only been two prior seasons on before. And so the funny thing is I was supposed to make a video for him and he was supposed to make a video for me, but we ran out of time for him and we just sent in my video. Oh my gosh. Does he <laughs> still get you on that? Does he, is he, is he, is he, I took better. care of him. It's okay. okay. It's, yeah, it's totally okay. <laughs> he split the winnings? Yeah. And then, you know, I mean like, you know, you just never think it's going to be you. Like, you right. know, I sent it in as a joke, but then uh, it was a funny joke. <laughs> wow. And they, they, what was it like when you first got the call and you first showed up? Were you just like, what am I doing here? Or was well, you, you know, it? it goes through a series of interviews, like 60,000 
thousand people apply, mm-hmm. and then you know they're cutting it down from there to twenty five thousand, ten thousand five. But the first time I got the call, I, I thought it was one of my buddies just like screwing with me. Right, right. right. I'm, like, I'm like, who is this? I'm like, yeah, right. I hung up on him. Right. I called back. I'm like, they're like, you, uh, you <laughs> made it to the next round of Survivor. I'm like. Oh God! I wonder if you ask the lady who makes those. I wonder if you ask the lady who makes those calls if that's the number one response. Really? For real? She's like, "Yes, this is my job. (laughs) I'm sitting at a call bank calling you guys." So you show up, you go through one interview, the next interview, um, and then you end up on the show. So now you're they what they just drop you on an island? How does it work? I mean, in theory, there's now it's evolved into a bunch of different formats. But the basic format is there are you know 16 to 20 people started two tribes and they just compete against each other um, and immunity challenges and reward challenges. And then once, uh, if your tribe loses, you have to vote someone off after a certain amount of time, they combine the tribes and it's every man for themselves. Last man standing wins a million bucks. And you're, and is what you see on TV? I'm, I know TV is never what you see, but how much of it while you're there feels like uh, real to you? Does it feel I mean, like that, you know, is Granted, you're never going to find 16 people on a deserted island, like, you know, running through an obstacle course for a Dorito. You're not going to see that. Right, you right. know, the, the situations are completely manufactured, but the reactions and the emotions and the feelings and the the fear and the excitement and the, the, the that stuff is real. Right. And when you're out there, it feels like real life. I mean, you are completely cut off from everything you're comfortable with. You know, you have no food, no water. You have one outfit. You're not sleeping. You're not eating. You're not drinking. And you got to deal with everyone else and this is a game that touches on every part of you as a human being mental physical social spiritual environmental mm-hmm. it's like the perfect game it's an amazing way you even said that which is it's a game but it's real the, the balance between things that are manufactured to be gamed but things that don't put you in a place where you can pull out of it when you're done. Usually some things of a game, they think I watch a game or I play a game of soccer and then I'm done. I go home to my life or I go play Candy Crush. But this is not that. This is, there's, this is a game, but this is your, your life now becomes a game in a way. Cor- correct. But having said that, there are no rules necessarily to the game. In theory, I could go out there and present myself as a you know, neurosurgeon living in you know, Los Angeles when I'm really, you know, uh, you know, a soccer player from New York, like I can be whoever I want. No one mm-hmm. knows, you know, so it's complete strategy. It's like, how, how do you navigate this game? Like you have to become friends with these people, but friendships based on trust and you can't trust anyone. And then everyone you vote off, they're the people that come back and decide if they want you to win the million dollars. Like, so you have to vote them off in such a fashion that they like you enough that they or respect your game enough that they want you to win. Wow. So it's just so, there's so many different layers. And now the game's evolved to a point where, you know, now they're bringing out family members. You're playing against your family member out there. So not only are you, you might have to like beat your butt brother in like some challenge and then vote your brother off the show. It's like crazy. That's or your wife serious. or your husband. At least as strangers, you'll never have to see them again, theoretically. <laughs> theoretically, yeah. So what what happens to you as a person? What you? This is an amazing life. As you're saying, I'm thinking like, I kind of feel like it would be cool for people to just do this, to survive in these environments just for the sake of their own life. Yes, I completely agree. I mean, there are some people... I mean, I saw this as the, I'm an athlete, I'm a soccer player, I love 
competing. You know, I thrive off of like high pressure situations. So I saw this as a game that, you know, like I said, is, is, is full, you know, it touches every part of you and you're doing it on the world stage in front of millions of people and the grand prize is a million bucks. That's what excited me to the game. You know, the athletic side of it. I wasn't prepared for the mental side of it. Mm-hmm. That's just something I was completely struck because you develop real relationships with these people and they become your friends and then you have to start weighing, okay, like I'm going to really have to vote off one of my good friends out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, it's an emotional thing. It's a tough thing. Like you don't want to have to hurt your friend's feeling, but it, bottom line is it's a game, you know? So there are things that happen within game for me. Like it was interesting mm-hmm. because like once you take away food and you take away water and you're tired and you're hungry, your true colors come into focus. Yeah. And yeah. kind of like all that you're left with is your character, your values, you know, that, that, that will to survive that very essence of the human spirit. And I, I firmly believe for me, you know, you're stripped from everything you're comfortable with. And, you know, I wasn't prepared for the loneliness and isolation of being stuck in the middle, middle of Africa with no friends, no family, no ATMs, no, you know, subway systems, nothing. I all I had with me were the clothes on my back. And so that, that feeling of isolation, um, was, was pretty, pretty strong. So what does that do for you? I remember as a kid growing up, I went to Israel for a summer and, um, they, one of the exercises they did for us, and this had a, a profound change in my life. I was in 10th grade. They brought us to a desert and they took the kids, it was, it was a high school group, we went for the summer, and they took each high school kid, and the guide walked us to a small little, like, hill, and it was pitch black, and I'm sure he just lined everyone up around the hill, but he said, you can't talk, and you're in the middle of nowhere. And he left us alone for maybe 15 minutes, to which point I was at that point, like three minutes in, I was like, I'm going to die. <laughs> Five minutes in, it's like, I, what, how do I say goodbye to my family? And 10 minutes in, I was like, I had never been alone in my entire life. And it was a profound change in the feeling of either you got to get okay with yourself or you're not going to make however, I, I, this could have been, he didn't tell us how long he was going to do this for. What happened to you internally? from when you had to grapple with these new realities that you've never probably experienced yeah. before? Well, one of the, the, on the physical side, it was really fun for me to be able to push my body physically to the absolute limit and then even just a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Some people like that. Some people don't. I get off on that. I like that stuff. You know, I do crazy athletic, stupid stuff. I like that. Um, but for... To have, to have that time by yourself to really look inside yourself was life-changing. You start to see how people view you, you know, um, in the context of the game because I, I thought I knew my strengths and weaknesses, you know, like I'm not the A-type personality guy who's going to bark orders, you know, so I knew I needed to like align with someone who, could, who had those skills. You know, I'm not the comedian, like big personality i had to align with someone who had mm-hmm. a skill set that was not my skill set and that's the only way i'd be able to go move forward in that game mm-hmm. because you have to be almost like very well rounded and so if your social game is not a good social game because you're really athletic and you're strong in the challenges but you can't like have a conversation with someone 
then you probably won't do well in the mm-hmm. game. But if you can align with someone that's good at speaking and having those conversations. So I think I looked into myself and I really looked, what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? What I'm good at? What am I bad at? And I had to accept those. Mm-hmm. And I had to use those faults and strengths to forward my game and to forward, you know, and, and to, to just to use to my advantage, I guess. Yeah, I'd use my faults to my advantage if you can imagine that. Yeah. So basically I figured out I had to make myself a crucial member of everyone else's survival. So without wow. me, they would have struggled even more. And I found that was the best strategy. So I, I made a personal relationship with every single person out there and I made a bond with them and I tried to find a place for myself in their life in the context of the game. So if I wasn't there, they would struggle. And you did that by giving, I'm sure. I did. You had no choice, right? How else That's can you the do only it? way I knew how to do it. Wow. Like, you know, it's amazing that I'm hearing you say this because I lecture for Being selfless in a selfish game is one of the most difficult things on the planet. Survivor is, uh-huh. I mean. I love what you just said. It's, it's the whole concept, the whole purpose of the game is to isolate yourself in this community. It's to vote every single person off and be the last person standing. So in theory, to be selfless and to be giving and sharing in a game where in the end you, you want everything to yourself. It's just a, it's an interesting way to play the game. And that's how I played the game. And when you did it, there's so many things that you're saying here that I'm writing down because so much of what you're experiencing, what you've experienced is the core, at least I see it from the business perspective in terms of lecturing for entrepreneurs or whatever. And what we talk about in terms of building companies or even families, but companies are probably more aligned with this because families are much more personal. They're much more relational and companies are much more like this. You, you're, you're put together with people. They have very specific purpose. That's not um, things like, you know, life. It's more, you know, accomplishing something that you'll either win or lose at. And much of the most successful people that are doing great or doing well have what you just said, meaning they have a certain level of humility to say, hey, I'm not it or better. I have to make somebody feel like I am essential. I had this recently with somebody who said to me, how do I make partner in a law firm? And he was like mad because he did everything right. And I'm like, you don't get it. No one makes you partner because you're a good boy. They make you partner because they can't live without you. That's the difference. And when you're fighting for like tenure or partner or you go and go, that's not fair. I played the rules. You're missing the rules. The rules are make yourself invaluable and then I have to pay you more than this market bears. Now, that's an economic principle that people either but what's amazing is that because you were in this environment and if more hard me say there was no there was no like there's no games like in the world we live in today we can always hide behind an excuse we can blame <laughs> you know the the market or the economy or my wife or my husband or my boss we could just blame people and then hide behind our computer and go home and eat our potato chips <laughs> right, right. like you didn't even have that choice like i couldn't even eat potato chips <laughs> I wish I could have. No, yeah. And that's the beauty of what you've experienced is that for a brief moment in time, you were face to face with raw reality. And so a lot of what you've experienced was what we all need to know, except we can hide behind mediocrity and excuses and bl- blame in order to pretend as if it's not really about 
how do I make myself invaluable? Or how do I realize that, hey, I'm not perfect. I'm a human. And either I align with someone who's better than me or I'm never going to advance. But the question I have in hearing you speak, and I guess the question people have in general is, okay, how did you balance the genuineness of giving which is what people are taking. They're not taking, I don't think, your act. They're taking your soul. They're taking your intention. How did you balance the, I'm giving and I'm ultimately going to be winning? How did you balance those two almost what seems to be mutually exclusive feelings of, like you say, selflessness and selfishness at the same time? I mean, in a horrible way, I was not in a horrible way, in a strategic way, by giving, I'm, I'm building trust, I'm building a relationship, I'm building a friendship. By giving, in the end, that's going to help me. Right. And win. Win. So in my mind, I'm a giving person in general, like I, it, to make other people happy, I think is one of the greatest things on the planet. I, I probably would have lived my life that anyway. It just worked out in my favor that I think if you are I enjoyed giving. I enjoyed making other people happy. But in the end, it also helped me move forward in the game. But while you were giving, were you thinking about winning? Or and, you and my, were... When I say giving, I'm not like giving like, you no, know, I didn't have anything to give. Giving. Yeah, you know, I'm working hard. Right. I'm like connecting with an older woman because I remind her of her son. You right. know, I, I'm talking to this guy about cars. You know, I'm building the fire. Like I, I could build a fire. No one else really did it that well. You know, I went and got the water. No one liked getting the water. I got the water. So wow. I took that job. So if they voted me out, they're going to have to get the water. No one wants so, to get the water. Uh, it's unbelievable. You know, so like little, little things like that, you know, I was able to catch some clams and some fish. Uh, other people could too, but that was a skill that I had that, you know, I wasn't great at it, but I could do it. And so I figured if I was the best fisherman out there, they're not going to get rid of the best fisherman. They want to eat. Wow. And that, by the way, is so relevant to the world and that people come in and they say, hey, listen, here's what I need to do. And here's who what I need to be versus here's what is needed of me. And I'm sure you see this in your life from that moment in that there's so much opportunity for people if they're willing to do the things no one else wants to do at the beginning, because that's what people need. And this happens everywhere everywhere where people are just waiting to say, well, I, I'm only going to do these five jobs because that's what's really up my level. And as a result, when everyone wants the same five jobs, you become less valuable. And who would have thought that you just schlepping to get some water would be the difference between someone else saying, hey, I can choose between voting over this person because if I vote over Ethan, he's I'm gonna have to be I'm gonna have to overcome my own laziness. I'm not gonna <laughs> yeah. change myself. Right. Forget and that. I'm gonna have to expend more energy. If I expend more energy, I'm not gonna be able to perform as well in the challenges. If I don't perform well in the challenges, I may not win a challenge and I'm gonna get voted off. So that's what they're thinking too as well. Yeah. And I played the game oh, twice. I played Survivor Africa, which I won, and then I played Survivor All Stars, which I did not win. Um having been a previous winner going on a show, playing against other people who had not won there was kind of a little bit of a target on the back. No one wanted Uh a winner to win again, but it was a completely different experience for me because I was, I started this game basically at the bottom. Mm -hmm. Like the chances of me winning were pretty slim to none. And I, and I was trying to find my place in these tribes, like the exactly the same way I was telling you now. And it didn't really work as well this time um, because one, we all knew each other. 
uh, because we had played against each other at a previous time. Uh, we knew each other outside the context of the show because we hang out in bars and clubs and stuff. So now all of a sudden you put us on the island and we're playing against each other. And, you know, those that being selfless and that stuff, trying to do the same strategy again didn't work as well. Mm, because they knew it was coming. Because they knew it was coming, right. So I tried to alter my strategy and try stuff that I wasn't as good at and I, I didn't do as well in the game. Um, but, you wow. know, it's, it's interesting. You know, like there's, it's, it's a great game because, you know, you can't be, you can't be too strong, you can't be too weak, you can't be too loud, you can't be too soft, you can't be too, you know, gregarious, you know, you can't be too, you turn people off. It's just, it's, it's a really interesting game. You have to find a balance. Like there was a time where I had to lose a challenge on purpose, which goes against everything I believe in, losing on, I want to win everything I do, but I, it would, it was better for me to lose the challenge because if I lost that challenge, someone else would get immunity. And that was my, he was my alliance. So if he got immunity, then I was safe. If I won, he would have been voted off and we wouldn't have been able to go far in the game together. So I had to be willing to, to sacrifice myself for the sake of the game, for the sake of my alliance. And that's the whole being selfless in a selfish game. Wow. This, this, I think, the one thing that I'm hearing, and this is just sort of so loud and clear to me, and I, I see this with the people that we interviewed here on the show. And for those of you listening, go back to the D- Jamie Geller interview and go back to um, um, all these inter- interviews. But I, I'm hearing you say something that is so powerful to me. Tell me if I'm hearing it wrong. And I guess maybe we can move off the game. Yeah, sorry. Is, is, is the concept of mission. Meaning, the only way somebody could even think about not winning a challenge is if there's a greater mission he's playing for. And when your life is a life of no mission, your goals are so myopic, they're so short-term that you always want to win. Like, it's like... Well, well, this is maybe a little different, but like, I can't even, I can't even let my kids beat me in basketball. I hate losing so much. My wife comes out. She's like, what's the score? I'm like 21 to five. She's like, he's your son. I'm like, not on the court. He's not. <laughs> I don't, I don't see a son. I see an adversary. Right, right. Like, I'm not going to lose. And we love winning. We, we love our teams to win. We don't even care that like, we just want to. But if you know, letting your son beat you would like, you know, boost his confidence so then when he plays in his next under 10 game under 10 year old game he's like you know he scored 15 points in a second that's a great mission for you exactly because as soon as i can put into my mind the mission of my life then all the ups and downs start to change i could go get water from the from, from the river you know why because it's beneath me but who cares i have a mission i could let someone else lose even though i should win i can say hello to an old lady who i care can care less about because it doesn't matter it's almost as if in life and and this is a great transition to what you've done since then um in life you have a choice as to where the spotlight goes to the mission or to the self and you just don't have the you just don't have enough light for both and as the spotlight increases on the mission the self becomes less important and as the spotlight increases on the self the mission becomes less important and i bet you on this game that you've played, and I would even bet you in life, you find the same thing, which is any time that we are mission-driven, I'll just do whatever it takes. I'll, I'll, I'll take the self and beat it to, to a pulp because at the end of the day, 
the mission is going to win. But if I don't have that mission, if I don't have that purpose, if my whole life's purpose is just sort of feeding and myself and whatever, everything bothers me, everything upsets me. I always have to win all the time. Every argument with my wife or girlfriend has to be me winning. My parents have to do everything perfectly to make me feel. My whole life needs to be a life of winning everything because I have nothing else to play for. Yeah. I mean, I'm jumping forward a little bit and probably what we're going to get to, but it's interesting you say that because in my cancer journey, when I first got diagnosed with cancer, it was all about me. You know, I, uh, I wanted to be this hero, this like, um, this vision of hope, this person everyone could relate to this, this survivor, um, and it was all about like my fight, my survival, you know, my recovery. And what was interesting is I did everything to share my story. And I think the general perception of cancer in this world is there are winners and there are losers. You either, you know, win right. again, beat cancer and stay alive or you lose, get cancer or die. Well, the reality of my situation is I did everything in my power to beat cancer and I did, but then it came back. Uh-huh. And when the cancer came back, it was interesting because my outlook and perspective changed a little bit. And I felt that, you know, like I created, like I created this, this, this person that just wasn't really me because it was all about me. So I had to take a step back and kind of rewrite that story. And was once a story about my fight became more a story about the mission to end cancer, this movement to end cancer. So rather than having all these stories about me. Now I figured out that I would better serve helping other charities achieve their goals than making this whole cancer thing about me. Mm-hmm. So I took a step back and now it was, you know, now I'm supporting all the organizations that are helping cancer, you know, and like, you know, I didn't really want to start a story that might not have a happy ending the second time around. Uh-huh. And so I, I needed to kind of refocus a little bit and make it less about me and more about this movement to end cancer. And now it's the mission versus right. self. Right. Like it's, it's, and it's what's interesting. You said it a second ago, and I'm happy you brought up the, the, the next part, which is your survival with cancer is that what's interesting is that even the story, even the self, what you mentioned was, a self of giving, meaning you're many, when people get sick, sometimes it becomes about them in a very primal way. It becomes about how they feel and about, and it's totally justified for, for a, a, a person who is suffering from a life threatening illness to feel like, Hey, I don't got to worry about your dumb problems. I may die. That's totally justified. Um, but what you're saying is that even in your own world of being a giver, right? You want to be the mission. You wanted some kid in a bed somewhere to see you. Yes. Even that can have a tinge of selfishness. Even yeah, that can have a tinge completely. of me-ness. It's about me a little bit. I mean, I guess I wanted, yeah, no, you're right. It's, it's a little bit of both. Like, first of all, taking my battle public right. is, was a tough decision for me. I didn't know what would happen if I opened up my life to complete strangers all over again, especially during this gross, ugly, disgusting time of cancer. But by making my battle public and sharing my story in every way possible, I was able to help people out there. Sure. And I truly believe like if by focusing on the plight of other people in the middle of my nightmare helped me heal, it was like a cathartic distraction from the reality of my situation. Right. And I, I firmly believe that by helping others, it's just that simple. Like helping others helps you heal right. at the same time. Right. So for me, you know, there's a, there's a lot of stuff going on there, but yeah, it's definitely a little bit selfish, you know, like 
it feels good knowing that I yeah, and there's nothing wrong with their life. There's nothing wrong with it, but it's interesting that the development between that level of selfishness, which is primal me, 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 to the next level, which is I want to change the world, to the next level, which is I just want the world to change. And that that sort of evolution, in many ways, is the evolution of where that mission self dynamic starts to change. What if, I'm curious because you know you 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 in many ways, um, I don't know if it's harder to to have what you had, which is you you go from relative obscurity to tremendous fame, and then you hit a world of where everything is going great. And then, when did the cancer come? Did it come after Survivor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How, so then you go from, in a way, I am, and now you were a pro soccer player, you weren't just sitting doing nothing, but I don't mean to say that in that way. I mean that once you've been on the public stage, now you're a uh, an individual that people talk about. You're, like you said, you're a public figure. What was it like when you first realize that you had cancer was there a sense of like a a balloon popping was it a sense of i have so much more to give i don't mean that in a selfish way like i'm perfect i mean like i got it's going well like i'm hitting green lights like whoa whoa, whoa. like i'm not like smoking in the in for 20 years like no 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 wrong guy wrong guy remember i'm the giver and the survivor remember the guy that like was there like a sense of like how could this happen to me of course, there's there's that feeling. You know, my only connection to cancer was when was my dad passed away when I was fourteen. So my connection to cancer was death. So when I got diagnosed, I'm like, oh my god, I'm gonna die. Um, and Wait, like your you father said, passed away of cancer. Yeah. Oh wow. So that yeah. was really. I'm sorry about that. Yeah. I, I pop. It's not your fault. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sorry that you had to not only go through that once, but I'm sure it made it even harder this, when you went through it. Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For my my family and my mom and my brothers, of course. Yeah. Like like I said, our connection to cancer is was my dad and he passed away. So like the instant feeling was like, I'm going to die. But then obviously once I got some more information, I realized that, you know, I mean, I I did have a rare form of cancer, which was, you know, it was a, it was a tough go at it, but, um, I kind of forget the question. What was the question? How did you feel when you first? Oh yeah. I mean, I felt, uh, confused, scared, frustrated, um, alone, helpless, um, out of control, you know, like it's a very uncontrolling, you feel completely out of control because there's this thing running inside your body and you can't do anything about it. Uh, and you know, uh, but I felt you can be the type of person who's going to sit back and let it happen to you, or you're going to, you know, going to do, you're going to be a little bit proactive and do something about it. Um, and you know, I, you know, it was my choice, like to say, to, to make it a, a bigger deal. And that was an instant thought. People would probably find out anyway. And I didn't want anyone to have some charge of the story. And, and, and I wanted to lead the story, you know, you're opening up your life and then people share their stories with you, become friends with people who are sick. But the fact that I had the opportunity to, you know, maybe the detail might have the ability to comfort someone else out there. And I saw a benefit in that. And like I said, it was just, it just made me feel good that in the middle of what I was going through, I could help other people. It's counterintuitive that when you're in a situation of feeling alone or out of control, it feels like what we should do is take more. You know, like go volunteer, uh, you know, do, do something because you'll stop internalizing everything, you know, feel good about yourself because, you know, you're doing something good. You're giving back to the community even while you're going through a horrible situation in your right. life and it can only make you feel better. Right. 
Was there a moment in this in your battle with cancer, maybe when it came back, was there a moment in that arc? You know, like I say this a lot when on, on these, I have a, a, you know, on the podcast lot, I have a question that I ask everybody, which is, you know, as a movie kid growing up, I grew up like on movies. That was like my, how I grew up. I see the world through like Rocky and Karate Kid and Hoosiers all put together in one. Chauncey Gardner. <laughs> so I, I, um, there's always an arc. There's always an arc in which the character um, has the catalyst that gets him started. And that catalyst brings him from wherever he is to wherever he needs to be. If to go back to remember, give us a karate kid with Robin Vancio growing up. So the, 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 the classic, like he moves to California and now he's got to learn karate, right? So then the arc starts and in the arc, he has a bunch of wins and it's going well, right? He's learning this, he's learning that. And then at some point in the hero's life, he hits a wall. That wall is an obstacle that his arc is not going to help him through unless he digs to a place he's never been to and finds another part of his being, his character to take him around it. Did you have that? Did you have in your arc of cancer this like, okay, I have my idea, you know, you got diagnosed and now I'm going to be the giver. I'm in. Okay. And you got a couple probably good prognoses and people probably responded and said, hey, that was awesome. You're changing my life. And you're on a roll. And then as the roll continues, you hit some wall. Did that have, if, did you hit a wall? And if you did, what did you, what did you reach for that was deeper than what you had earlier to get around it? If not, not. I'm doing knife like yeah, in no. movies, but I mean, there's um, there was a moment that uh, there was a moment that made me make the decision to go public mm-hmm. with my story because I was keeping it a little mm-hmm. bit. I wasn't. I didn't go public with it, and it was during my fourth chemo, fourth chemotherapy treatment. I walked into Memorial Sloan Kettering Hospital, and what punched me in the stomach, and what punches me in the stomach every time is that when you walk into the waiting room. It's jam packed. Mm. It's always full. And we sit there like strangers, yet we're so connected mm-hmm. by this horrible disease. Everyone just sits in the chair, their heads down, no one's talking. My mom and I saw this woman like four seats away from us having a complete meltdown because her son had just been whisked away for his treatment. And so my mom gets up and walks over to this complete stranger and sits down next to her, puts her arm around oh her. My gosh. And she said, That's my son over there. He's got cancer too, and it's going to be okay. And they shared that moment, that personal touch, that warmth of another human being. And it was at that moment that I couldn't just sit back and do nothing because Mm. I realized the power of that moment. And that's what made me decide to share my story. Mm -hmm. So to get as many people out there to learn more and to start connecting and communicating um, because it's a really low, everyone goes through cancer alone. And like, mm-hmm. you can be surrounded by people that love you, but I've never felt so alone in my life. Right. Cause they're not in you. They're not with you. They're not sharing right. what you're sharing. There's right. no commonality. So that was, I don't wow. know if it's a wall, but it was a moment that mm-hmm. kind of changed everything for me. You know? Amazing. Talk to me about grassroots uh, soccer. Yeah. Um, it's an organization that you started with a few of your friends and it, it's a brilliant idea to use soccer as a way to get awareness out on AIDS, HIV. Now this is in Africa and now you've partnered with every major, right? Nike. I mean, you name, you name the sponsor. They've been there. Yeah. What's that been like for you in terms of this idea that I'm sure you started with like, I, I'm almost, where, where did it start? It, it wasn't, it was like a bunch of guys talking about it. it was yeah. Like, kind of. Yeah. I mean, so 
uh, long story short, there's a, before Survivor, I lived and played professional soccer in Zimbabwe. Oh, wow. And I played for a team called the Highlanders Football Club in Bulawayo, Zimbabwe. And while <laughs> I was there, this was the first time I saw how one disease was just destroying this community. You know, like I saw the pain and suffering and I had compassion for all those people touched by this like single disease. We had teammates that got sick. You know, these are national sports heroes, kids running up and getting the autographs. All of a sudden they hear they're HIV positive, they're kicked off the team, they're ostracized from the community and they end up living a horrible end of their life. At that time in my life, 1999, before Survivor, I did not know what I could do about it. Mm -hmm. What can one person do to help this massive problem right. in all of Africa? So I didn't do anything about it. I shelved. I said, it's not my problem. It's a land far away. Someone else is going to deal with this. Now, fast forward to Survivor. Uh -huh. I was brought back to Africa, this time to Kenya. And I won a reward challenge where I got to visit this little hospital in the middle of Kenya. And while I was, playing, while I was visiting this hospital in the middle of Kenya... All these little children came out, Kenyan kids playing with my white skin, playing with my Jufro, you know, like they'd never seen anyone like me before, right? And I busted out a soccer ball and we all started playing soccer. And once again, we're communicating, we're sharing this moment, we're having this, this real life speaking the same language yet not speaking the same language with the sport that we love. Before I left, I asked one of the nurses, why are these kids just hanging out in the parking lot of the hospital? She says, well, these are all the kids that are HIV positive. Oh, wow. So here I was in the middle of this game, this cutthroat game of Survivor and had that real life experience. And it was at that moment I decided that if I win and something goes well and reality TV, whatever comes along with it, I want to do something good with the money. So I got back from the show. I met up with my four buddies, Dr. Tommy Clark, Kirk Friedrich, Matembe, and Lovu. And um, the, we started grassroots soccer. And has it just gone beyond whatever you could dream of? Like beyond ever anything I could ever... I mean, we're in 40 countries, graduate over 720,000 kids from the program. Oh my gosh. Um, you know, we have a great partnerships with, mate, like you said, awesome our awesome partners, you know, Manchester City Football Club, wow. Arsenal Football Club, you know, Elizabeth Taylor AIDS Foundation, Mac AIDS Fund, Elton John AIDS Foundation, Nike, Bill and Melinda Gates, Peace Corps International. It's like, it's, it's fantastic. Wow. There's so many different levels to the program now that uh, it's pretty incredible. And the basic model is we train professional soccer players, coaches, and peer leaders in the community with a curriculum about HIV and AIDS. And then we send them into the classrooms of the soccer field to teach the youth about AIDS prevention. Soccer's the hook, but we're really delivering a health intervention through wow. the sport of soccer. Amazing. And now you're also, you're doing TV. I saw you're doing, uh, are you hosting shows? You're I was, you know, I, I, I dabbled in it a little mm -hmm. bit. I like it. You know, I'm not going to say no to being able to like host a television show. It's yeah. really fun for me. Um, you know, the most recent show was uh, called Everyday Health. It was it was um, in 2012, I think, on ABC, daytime kids tweener, kid tweener show. And uh, yeah, we got to travel around the country and kind of uh, sharing the stories of um, extraordinary, ordinary people who are using their personal crisis to do good in the world. Right. Amazing. Last question. Yes. I know that uh, you've been through here and I appreciate your time. If you can go back to yourself when you were just sending in that video <laughs> and now you're looking back and you can whisper a bit of advice to yourself before this roller coaster started, before Survivor, before cancer, before grassroots, what would you say to yourself as a bit of advice um, now knowing what you know? I would probably say like, don't take yourself 
as seriously as I did, you know, growing yeah. up. I was like, you know, growing up all through like high school and college, I was real. I was a pretty serious dude. I was an athlete and I had fun, but like I studied hard, you know, I worked out hard, I ate well, you know, I was, you know, I was a good Jewish boy, right? Right, right, um, right. And right. I, I took, successful, I think I took myself a little success. too seriously. <laughs> right, right. So looking back, like in hindsight, that, you know, I wasted a lot of time, you know, to, right. you know, taking myself. Right. Go with the punches, go with the flow, the, be a giver. Yeah, totally. And, and it'll work itself out. You yeah. never know. Yeah, but, I think it, I think it will. Ethan, thank you so much for joining us. We really Pleasure. appreciate you being on. It, it, it means a lot to us that you're here and the message of, um, of what it, what you, what you stand for, which is in adversity give is, is very inspiring. I have here ways to get to, if you have any, I have, you can go to ezon.com, right? You have ezohn.com. Uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff here. You guys can look at anyone's interested. Um, you can look at them from there. Is there any other places to get to you? I see yeah, you're I mean, on Twitter. Yeah, I Twitter, at Ethan Zahn. I got a, you know, Facebook fan page, all that junk, Instagram, Ethan Zahn. And what on we'll Instagram. do on Charlie Harari is we'll, we're going to send this show out to you guys. If you look at our website, we'll, we'll have it all laid out. And then underneath, we'll put all of Ethan's stuff on. So if you're checking us out as well, when we release the show, we'll have all of Ethan's information so you can reach out to him directly and all his stuff. And it's just great that you're here. And thanks again and for coming pleasure, on the man. show. And I... Before we started talking, and this can be on or on the show, but you mentioned like unlocking what's inside you. I had a thought about that if you wanted to yeah, pose the please. question. But just, you know, we spoke about unlocking it. And my advice to people is sometimes in this kind of philanthropy charity space, people are wondering, they want to do something or what should I do? Like, I'm not going to change the whole world tomorrow. My advice is to figure out what makes your heart break and then just do something. Oh, about is that it. great? Oh, is that great? Figure out what makes your heart break and then do something about it. I love that. Thank you, Ethan. Delve into current events to uncover relevant wisdom. This is the Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari.